0: And I guess that's the cool thing about construction is there's so uh, it's well, it's a double edged sword. It's very fragmented, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool because anybody can go. I think it's it's one of the only places the American dream is still readily available. Um, One of the few industries, because if you look around, most other industries are so consolidated nowadays. It's like good luck becoming a a toothpaste company, for example, or oh, you want to go make phones. That's that's cute. Um, yeah. but anybody can go be a contractor. But then the other side of the coin is the fragmentation works against the industry because you have these consolidated industries where the CEOs all get together. They have golf. They make sure everything's good to go for their industry before they go beat each other up. Uh, yeah. And and we don't necessarily do that in this world.
1: No. And you, and you look at private equity there's five trillion dollars looking for deals roll-up strategy is really attractive obviously uh hvac companies have been a big target for consolidation yep um leveraging technology ai and a kind of um either you can keep up or or you can't and i would imagine construction will have its consolidation just like any other
0: It's, uh, it's starting to, I think there's some barriers to consolidation, but, um, ready mix concrete, asphalt and, uh, rock aggregate has really consolidated over the past few decades. Interesting. And I think construction's going, like the consolidation's going to happen because a lot of construction companies don't have a succession plan. And so they just, I've seen a lot of it is aging out and- Uh, you hit another market slowdown and you have these older guys that have been doing it for 40 years and they don't want to go through another 2008, 2010. Mm -hmm. They're like, I've made my money. I'm not going to go brawl it out again. I don't have the energy or desire to do that. And, uh, that's when, yeah, this private equity money will be there. It's interesting too, because we've raised money over the past two and a half years. And I've learned about this world that I knew nothing about prior. And with the change in interest rates, So all of these companies raised, and these funds raised crazy amounts of money. I mean, tens of billions, hundreds of billions, you said trillions, there's literally trillions of dollars there that they've raised. But then the interest rates and the landscape changed dramatically. So they've all kind of paused a little bit and I've all been looking around, looking what's going on, what's going on. And the more they wait, the more there is pressure to go deploy that capital. It's just this weird, weird world.
1: Yeah. And you're going to look at returns, you know, so even the interest rate goes up, you're going to look for bigger, better returns, and maybe you can get that by consolidating. I think it's interesting that you pointed out the demographics. The demographics of the United States are pretty good comparative to other countries, like China is sort of the world's largest nursing home. But um, I'm wondering how many younger people are coming into construction um, generally, because college seems to be so promoted as sort of the pinnacle of what it is a person can do, um, it's not necessary in construction, although it can be helpful.
0: Yeah, co- college is part of it. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, college is a part, and and our society has just modernized, and when you modernize, everybody starts to move into these neighborhoods and suburban America and now you're not on a farm every day. Now you're not fixing the car every day. You're not developing real skills. You're not learning how to work growing up. I didn't learn how to work growing up. Mm -hmm. I learned how to work when I was a teenager in Montana. By the grace of God, I got lucky and someone taught me before I was too old and screwed for the rest of my life. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, it's, it's, it's not looking good. Because there's about 40% of the industry aging out in this decade. Yeah. Um, and there's already a half a million plus open positions right now in the construction industry to keep up with demand. So you, you just, everybody's looking at the information like, oh boy, that's a, that's a pickle. But then no one knows what to really do about it at the same time.
1: Yeah, maybe robots will ride in and save us or at least make up the gap, but probably not. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I've seen the robots in question and uh, they're they're cool, but they are certainly not going to make a half a million person gap disappear in the construction industry anytime soon. So they will we'll not. see but that's yeah. our that's our that's our opportunity. But we're here to talk to you today about EOS. Yeah. Um. Can you explain in layman terms what a EOS is?
1: What what an EOS is? All right, so
0: EOS stands for
1: the entrepreneurial operating system, and what it is is a complete set of real world simple tools that helps an organization do three things that we call vision, traction, and healthy. Mm -hmm. So, vision from the standpoint of getting the leadership team of the organization, the founder, entrepreneur, and the leadership team—usually the three to eight people at the helm of the business. 100% 100% on the same page with their vision, where they're going and how they're going to get there. And then tractions from the standpoint of really creating the disciplines, the habits, the accountability necessary to execute on every aspect of that vision. And then finally, healthy is creating really healthy, cohesive and functional teams. So what the system is doing is getting you to the point where everyone in your business, you got 50 people, 100 people, Three people seeing the same thing, they wanting the same thing, they're masters of execution, and they're moving forward as really healthy, cohesive, fun-loving team, if that's your
0: culture. And so that's what EOS does. So this, it's a framework for businesses to operate more effectively.
1: It is. And we, we simplify that to say it's a system for managing human energy. Okay, It's getting everybody rowing in the same direction, executing towards a particular goal.
0: How did you get involved in EOS to begin with?
1: So it's really interesting story. I uh, was uh, an entrepreneur myself, and I had uh, co-founded a pharma biotech services company with my brother. And we did a couple series of mergers. We had nine or so companies at the time. And we went to an event that was at the Pentagon. And and in Obama's small uh, business administration in the White House. And so we went to this event, and the host ran, uh, was an EOS implementer. His name is Jonathan Smith. And he introduced us to EOS. And I just was looking for, at that very uh, specific time, with nine companies growing really fast, we were just succeeding in spite of ourselves. And so I wanted a system to cohesively. Orchestrate all of our people, all of our systems and processes, and accomplish our goal because it was really chaotic. we were We were hitting the ceiling. Everything felt really complex and hard. And so we were introduced to EOS at the Pentagon, uh, having lunch with a three star general, sure. uh, a very strange place to run into eOS. fell in love with the everything that i I learned from him, and I started implementing those tools into my own company, first by myself. Kind of figured out was Dr. Heal Thyself a little bit. Uh, Hired Jonathan to come be our EOS implementer, our facilitator. And I used the tools to exit the day-to-day of my companies. Hmm. Eventually became an EOS implementer myself. Sold my companies in in 2018. Uh, Was a EOS implementer. Spent over, I don't know, 12,000 hours in a session room with clients. Uh, Just... Having a lot of fun working with them as a coach in the implementer community, then head coach, and then eventually uh, landed myself somehow uh, as visionary and CEO at EOS Worldwide.
0: Yeah, it's 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 that's pretty amazing, and uh, I, I it's I think it's almost essential that you came from operating a business and having to implement this yourself because you can understand the entire process better than just about anybody else.
1: I definitely have a a unique perspective having self-implemented, having used an EOS implementer, having been an implementer, been a coach of implementers, the head coach of all the implementers now running the company. It certainly gives me a a unique perspective of what people go through uh, running an entrepreneurial business, using EOS tools to get the results they want. You keep seeing saying implementer. What is an implementer? Yeah, so an EOS implementers, uh, we'll call them a business coach, and so they've uh, been trained to help companies implement the tools of EOS. And so they uh, there are seven hundred and twenty of them in the world. We do uh, we work with clients in forty different countries, and they are uh, a helper, an entrepreneurial helper. They come and work with those leadership teams, and help them get the results that they want using the tools of
0: eos now you said when you were looking or, or you know before this pentagon event everything was a little chaotic oh yeah and i i i think a lot of like i said the the audience that, that we really talk to they're, they're oftentimes business owners in construction and again the cool thing about construction is anybody can go start a business but that means there's a ton of business owners in this industry and sometimes it really takes off and there is just complete chaos as things scale. There's a lot of chaos I've seen in this world because there are so many businesses growing, so many new businesses. There's just a lot going on. I think that's a very relatable place for a lot of people, especially me. I've just been living in a world of chaos for the past few years. I mean, since since I started the company really, it's just been nonstop chaos. Yeah. And finding something to at least quell some of that is so so necessary,
1: uh, we think it is. Uh, I really the the impact that we have on the lives of entrepreneurs is quite astounding. Um, in, in some sense, entrepreneurs love the chaos, right? We, in, if, uh, yeah, if if you find yourself always putting out fires, sometimes you do have to ask yourself who the arsonist is. Sure, and and usually it is the entrepreneur. It's usually hey, because you get so used to the activity. You get so used to all the things going on that uh, when it's quiet for a minute, uh, you get it kind of freaks you out a little bit. Yeah, but I think Gino Wickman, who's our founder, he created EOS. Uh, he used to refer to EOS as entrepreneurial Prozac provisionary <laughs> uh-huh. visionary Prozac. I mean, it's basically what it is, right? It puts your mind at ease. Um, one. It, it lets you know that you're totally and utterly normal, that as an entrepreneur, you go through these periods where everything is working, it's all clicking, and then you feel like you just ran full speed into a wall. Uh, we call that hitting the ceiling, and, and that's where one of three things happens at that point in time, right? You stagnate and you fail to grow. Over 50% fail and they die at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And the the select few break through that ceiling and they scale their organization, they get to the next level and it happens again. It happens again and again and again over and over. And so what, what we really, really work on and what the system is designed to do is to train resilience, train mindsets and frameworks so that you can break through that ceiling each and every time accepting the fact that that sense of chaos is inevitable. It happens over and over and over again. It's not avoidable.
0: Which I've learned is just part of business. It's probably, it's part of anything. It's part of growing yourself as a human being. It's part of a career. It's part of probably having a family. I don't have a family, but I've heard it's chaotic at times. I've heard there's (laughs) ups and downs to it. And uh, it's so tempting to want this one formula that, Bring it back to business that I can just plug into the business and everything makes sense indefinitely, no matter what level I'm at. Which is completely, completely false. Because, you know, you have 20 people, and then you go to 50 people. That's a different business. It's not even, it's not even remotely similar to 20 people. And if you take the same same operating system you were running at at 20 and apply it to 50, it's just you're gonna fail. <laughs> it, it's 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 uh. It, 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 but but what you're saying is we we focus a lot on those skills that you need to continuously reinvent things cuz it's just going to happen repeatedly no matter where you're at no matter what your business is
1: it is and our the system and it doesn't you can use any system it doesn't have to be EOS we just happen to probably be first and and probably have the largest one uh But it's based on first principles. So Elon Musk sort of made popular first principles is that we break because just exactly to your point, that 20 person company, 10 person company, it's a whole new world at 50. It's a whole new world at 100, 300. And if you can boil all of it down to just really first principles, what are the core things that work no matter at what size organization you are? And we train around those skills, around those mindsets, understanding that hitting the ceiling is inevitable, how to solve issues at the root, get people rowing in the same direction, using data, solving issues at the root. That's a discipline in and of itself, having your process, your franchise prototype in its simplest form and how to create accountability, discipline and uh, really execute on every aspect of that vision with consistency. Those are really, that's first principles, simple thinking. It scales forever. Uh, And so we eliminate intentionally a bunch of complexity that you could have that would work great for a 50-person company, but it won't work for 300 or 3,000. And so we strip all that away and and make it as simple as
0: we can. When you're learning how to implement, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you need to learn before you can go do that with companies? As an implementer or just as, a entrepreneur yeah, as, as an entrepreneur implementing the system? As yourself? an implementer. And then I'll take it from a company perspective.
1: Yeah. So I, I think 85% <laughs> of our EOS implementers in our community are exited entrepreneurs. They've built and sold a company using the tools of EOS in some way. And so almost everyone comes from a, a little bit of a been there, done that um, place. Right. Right. So they they really come into our world already knowing what it is, how to run a company generally, um, how to use tools and systems in order to get results you want. And so then we train them on really bringing that down, breaking it down to those first principles, the really core, simple tools that we have in the system. And they use those tools with working with clients. And it's a little bit like doctors learn, see one, do one, teach one. So they, they've they They've seen it done. They're, they've implemented their own business uh, most often, and now they're teaching it to someone else. And it's just a, a repetitive path to mastery that we are teaching our EOS implementers internally. And uh, they go and then teach their clients, and they get better and better over time.
0: And, and how many times have you done this process
1: yourself? Oh, um, I worked with a little over 100 clients okay. myself, uh, I've spent about 12,000 hours. In a session room uh, or teaching the tools in some capacity. And there's a fallacy there, though. Like people say, oh, the 10,000 hour rule. Well, sure. that's not a rule. That just sounded really good when Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really when the journey really begins. And so I'm learning every single day and, and how to use these tools in our company, EOS Worldwide, and, and how to teach these tools to other people.
0: Yeah, if I played 10,000 hours of basketball, I'd probably still suck because I'm <laughs> five, five, six. But um, uh, what, what, what are some of the themes that you saw along the way with working working with those 100 companies? What are some of the things you picked up on?
1: Well, I think number one is everything changes. Nothing is static, right? Um, what's what's going to work for you one quarter is not going to work for you the next because you're dealing with humans. Mm -hmm. And so people are are dynamic and changing at all times. So most of the organizations that we work with, their number one issue by far and away is people Mm -hmm. either finding the right ones, can't find they're just not available, um, retaining the right ones. Rewarding and recognizing them, getting all the right people in the right seats, as as we say, is just a very difficult thing to do. Uh, So really, that's the number one issue that we we would see on a regular basis. I mean, 80 percent or more of all the issues inside of a company is because uh, someone in the business business uh, doesn't get want or have the capacity to do their job really, really well and share your core values. So that's number one. Uh, number two would be an issue of process. Right? People generally avoid processes as much as they can. They don't want to document it. And so that prevents scale in a lot of ways. And so that would be number two. Uh, the the third issue that we see most often is an issue of data. And it's a little bit of a avoidance of accountability from a people perspective. It's also a lack of documentation and process that makes measurement hard. Uh, But people sort of guess a lot as opposed to making decisions based on uh, data. So those are the top three issues that we see just sort of over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, I've probably struggled most with the second one because I'm an entrepreneur and that's one of the core traits of entrepreneurs is not a large respect for uh, convention, for rules, Mm -hmm. for doing things a certain way. And, uh, the, you know, that works to a degree, but then, you know, we, beginning of last year, we started, we went above 50 people for the first time and now we're 70, 75, somewhere in there. We're just to the point and and our business is a lot more complex than it was two years ago because there's multiple areas of the business now. We're to the point where it's, I forget who broke it down in this way, but uh you go from pirate ship to navy. And I've I've we've been in that world for the past year and a half where before it was very much a pirate ship. You're just raiding whatever island comes into view and hopefully finding some some valuable booty. But uh there's no real there's no just no no real direction to it and and Mm -hmm. no process to it. And at a certain point that just causes chaos. And you always need a little bit of that because you see these big soulless corporations that just make me just shudder. Like if I had to spend my career at some of these companies, I see it just sounds like ab just 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 terrible, 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 terrible. No creativity. Just you have to, I'd I'd have to wear a suit every day. It just would not be a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so you need that entrepreneurial spirit, uh. But you also need that process to to keep everything grounded. And, uh, yeah, it's been a, 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 learning experience for me to figure out where that balance is and when to push and then when to say, you know what, me getting involved right now is just going to make this even worse or we need this process. And frankly, speaking very openly, I, we've implemented EOS over the past year or so. I, I was not a big fan of it. Uh, to start because I thought it was a little bit of an oxymoron. It's like, how can you have an entrepreneurial operating system? Because entrepreneurship is about doing things differently and, 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 and being innovative. Um, but as we've done it and as I've seen the organization it's provided us and the clarity it's provided, and we're not all the way there yet. There's still a long ways to go, but it's been extremely beneficial, extremely beneficial
1: which is great to hear and it's interesting with process because visionary entrepreneurs uh don't like process and and yet they use them all the time and so what here's what we see that yeah. entrepreneurs like to execute a process and the moment it has worked it's proven to work they abandon it why because it's boring now mm-hmm. right the process works it produces a consistent result and now this is boring as anything and I need to go do something different. And so either I'm going to screw up that process so it doesn't work anymore, <laughs> go find a new one. Yeah. Uh, and and so you just have this, this uh, sort of mix of what I would refer to as exploration versus exploitation. And a lot of that comes down to having a great visionary and integrator relationship in the organization where the visionary is the big idea person. They're usually... Uh, creating the chaos the wake behind them the integrator is the person who's keeping the trains running on time they're keeping everything running very smoothly integrating the major function of the organization where you create you the visionary is probably going to prove that process out yep it works they need to hand it off to an integrator who's going to exploit that process then and maximize every component of it consistently and forever with incremental uh improvements, you know, tweak hone, refine, make it better and better over time. But we see this all the time with uh founding entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs and and founding entrepreneurs specifically are not CEOs. Mm-hmm. While that might be the corporate title because that's what the bank wants. Uh the integrator is so important to that visionary entrepreneur. Because we are not CEOs in the traditional sense.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, a CEO—the job is Chief Executive Officer. So in right. theory, the other executives that are operating the business report to you, and you are really you're really operating and guiding that business day to day. And I—I've seriously, you know, my my technical title is Chief Executive Officer, and I think titles are stupid. That's just one of the th- you know I'm I again I just I, I have these traits some of them. And one of them is just, oh, I think titles are really dumb because once I found out titles are completely made up, then just the, I saw how the sausage was made. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been lied to my whole life, but I I've, I've questioned, like, I'm probably not, uh, the CEO for this business long-term and that's okay. Um, but, but with construction companies specifically, mo, mm, I don't want to say most, I, I paint with a broad brush a lot. Um, a lot of companies are run by the visionary and they remain always run by the visionary. And I think the most successful construction companies I've seen have the visionary integrator relationship. I've seen this quite a few times over very successfully. And it is, the, the difference between the two is profound. It is really profound, but just so often you see a guy that got really good at digging holes, and then needed to hire somebody to help him dig holes. And then he was really good, so people started to ask him to dig some more holes. And then he needed to hire more people, and now it's a 300 person organization that still entirely flows through one individual. Uh, and you can you can just watch the constant chaos unfold. And I'm I'm 28. I get to see a lot of construction companies very intimately right now. So I do have this unique experience, but I also approach it like, what do I know? I just, I just watch and I just spectate from the outside. Uh, But I see it so often, so often. And the chaos, I believe, is unavoidable. And more importantly, we're talking about going into the next generation I think this is where succession planning is non-existent, because if it's just one visionary running the entire show and that visionary goes away and there's no integrator, there's no operations, the company's worthless. The company, there, there's no value to the company other than the balance sheet at that point.
1: Yeah. Jim Collins has a, a concept that he talks about, which is there's uh, two different types of leaders. There are time tellers and then there's clock builders. So I've been very fortunate because Gino Wickman, who is the original founder, uh, CEO, he doesn't consider himself that per se or didn't, uh, he was a clock builder. And so he started. And, and the difference between a time teller and a clock builder is, you know, uh, they're the singular leader. They're the only one. They're the the genius with a thousand helpers. Uh, and so they're just really telling everyone what to do, they're telling everyone where we're going, and there's no system, there's no process behind that. Where a clock builder brings up that second, third generation, builds a team of people, has systems and processes where you're enabling all of your people to move the business forward without your presence. Um, and so that's what a clock builder does. Um, and the reason I, I say that is, you know, Gino's clock builder, uh, Mike Payton, who was my predecessor, uh, he took over as the visionary. Um, Gino's first integrator was someone named Don Tinney. Don Tinney then passed the torch to Kelly Knight. Um, Mike Payton passed the torch to me for the visionary seat here at EOS. Kelly is uh, still my integrator, thankfully. and. We are clock builders. We are designing a system using our own tools so that we can plan, we can hand the baton off to the next generation of leaders. And that's the way you grow and scale a company of a lot of value, because if I disappeared tomorrow, um, it really wouldn't do much to the organization does everyone have their unique genius and capabilities that add value? Absolutely.
0: Sure. Especially in construction, it's, it's beyond that too. It's, it's not just creating a valuable organization, but it's creating a valuable organization that's going to create value for multiple generations to come. I, there's, and I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm the guy on the outside. It's super, super easy to criticize from the stands. But I, I, I'm looking in and I'm like, what is your legacy? Because if you go away what happens to your business? And so you've spent 40 years getting this business to a point that is questionable going forward. And then what happens? Like We we need your business. This business builds infrastructure. It builds water lines. It builds roads, bridges. It gets internet to people's houses, power, gas. This is the foundation of society that we're playing with right now. And so this is way bigger than your livelihood at this point. And most of these people have made substantial money at this point, but it's like, you got to think, what is your legacy? What are you leaving behind? And are you leaving something sustainable behind that's going to be good when you're gone? Because just because you're gone doesn't mean society doesn't need infrastructure anymore. That, and, and, and I've tried to f- frame it in a, a way that resonates with people. And so I've said, hey, maybe you're good, but what about your children? And okay, your children want nothing to do with construction. That's fine. But no matter where your children go, Doctor, lawyer, teacher—they depend on infrastructure every single day of the week to survive, and that needs to be sound for them to be successful. Um, and so, this is like what we're talking about—is the utmost importance. I think a lot of people, when it comes to this workforce challenge the construction industry is facing, they quickly—they like we talked about—they quickly point to college and and some of these other things, but but the way we're looking at it is well that's part of it but i'm i'm more so looking at what's the leadership within the current industry look like what is th- what do the businesses in the current industry look like like i think that's where the real change is going to come from i think that's where this industry is going that, that's what's going to guide this industry into the future is strong successful businesses that are set up for multiple generations which is why this is so exciting because EOS is something to make that a reality. So it this is this is a direct this is a, a direct solution to, I think, the workforce workforce challenge. I,
1: I think it is to a certain degree, for sure. Uh, and, and people, entrepreneurs have different views on legacy. Some people say, well, I'm going to be dead. so Who cares? Uh, I'm gone. Doesn't yeah. matter. But the reality is almost every business owner believes that they will exit their company at some time. And so whether it's handing it down to another generation, whether it is selling it or whether it is disbanding it or merging it with someone else, building a company that can run on its own, basically, with enough of the right people. Um, yes, that would create a legacy, but it also creates enterprise value so that you can transfer it to another owner. And so you've, you know, if you're the person who's worked 40 years and and your children are not going to take over the business, you want to maximize that exit value. When you sell your company to the next owner, you want as much cash as you can possibly get. I mean, I don't think anybody would say, well, I'm not, I don't, you know, give me less. Um, everyone wants more and the, and so building a company that yes would leave a legacy but if that's not your interest the exit value the transferability of your organization through uh, having a system increases enterprise value because someone can take ownership of that and grow it to wherever they want to grow it without your participation cuz it's not dependent upon you mm-hmm. so i think no matter where you are and the way you think about legacy um you think it's important i think happen to think it's important as well a lot don't it still does uh, a right thing uh totally random uh with the the workforce issues uh some of it oddly has to do with birth rate right i mean there's just a birth rate in the country there's just not enough humans to facilitate the number the amount of demand that we have uh so you know there's a no, there's a solution to that. It was like 25 years ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. I, I have I have not helped with the birth rate thing because I don't have kids yet. <laughs> uh, I haven't done my part, and I I think it's like it's it's just it's almost two births per woman technically yeah. to feed a population to you know going forward, and we're below that right now. We are, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 it, it it's um, I I and i've i've been tempted to make the workforce thing into oh it's just this but it's like what I'm i've laughing. recognized is there's about 138 different factors all mixing together in this weird way to create all these different uh, all these different conditions in different labor markets that are materializing in different ways it's it's all there are some common themes but there's a lot it, it's just a very complex problem at the same time
1: and not, and you can't control all of it. So it's really about controlling the controllables, running a highly productive business that's engaging to people. They want to be a part of what it is that you're building. You're executing well. You're creating lots of value for your customers at a fair price uh, with as little waste as possible. All of those things, if you drive in that efficiency, execute well, you're going to have engaged people you're going to tip the scales in your favor a lot because of the, the just simple fact that there's not enough humans uh, to go around for the work that needs to get done. Well, if you're an organization, if you're a construction company now looking for people, the best thing you can do is tip the scale in your favor. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we tip the scale in our favor? Well, what are people driven by? Daniel Pink talks about mastery, autonomy, and purpose as the, the biggest drivers. And he wrote that book a little bit ago. And so I still think, though, that no matter what generation you're a part of, those three things are, are still. So what are you doing in your business to create a world where someone can have a sense of mastery? Well, construction is a perfect place for that, right? I mean, you get lots of reps. You got lots of opportunities to get better over time. What are you doing to master your craft, to get better and better every time you you go out there and do your job? Well, that okay, so we can say, let's, let's do that. Um, autonomy, well, we want to make sure that we are not micromanaging, smothering people. If you're that genius with a thousand helpers, you don't want to be telling everyone what to do. You want to give them that freedom, that autonomy to gain mastery and to learn and grow. And then purpose, well, The clock-punching person, that kind of thinking, uh, sort of industrial age style, survival style, um, show up at 8 and punch the clock at 4, that's not really interesting to future generations. So what's the purpose? What's the dent in the universe that you're looking to make? Then you just enroll as many people as you can into that culture based on your core values, and you can tip the scale in your favor and that's the really the in some ways that's the best you're going to be able to do
0: well this is why i'm so optimistic about construction because autonomy construction is very in theory when it's done correctly autonomous you're on different job sites spread out all across there no one everybody at a construction company doesn't work at the office they're all spread out scattered across uh all different job sites having to make their own decisions every day to build a project Mastery. Yeah, you have these real skills that you're practicing and honing every day that in a lot of industries and careers has gone away in a sense. And then you have this beautiful sense of purpose that is quite literally building your community, building society. Um, and so we, we we have those things as an industry. We just need to get the word out about those things and focus on those things because right now it's more so focused on, well, let's just pay people more. but. I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm for raising wages. I think that's great. But if it's just money, 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 we're always going to get beat out by other companies out there like what you can go get a, get a job at starting at Amazon in an air conditioned warehouse. It's typically higher than your average starting construction job within whatever market you're in. And I'm driving to my construction job, passing the big, big billboard that says, we'll start you at this, which might be a dollar more an hour than I'm earning outside right now. And that's conditioned. I know, I know, I don't have, I, I know where I'm going to be at work every day, but that doesn't have that sense of purpose. That doesn't have this sense of, of mastery. That doesn't have necessarily the autonomy that I think this, this world can offer. How, so I'm a construction company, And there's a bunch of chaos right now. And I've said, you know what? This sounds pretty good. Where does a company start in this process? Can we walk through the process and what it looks like?
1: Yeah, sure. So there's really two main paths to implementing a system like EOS into your company. So I'll walk you through those two paths. The number one is you can just self-implement. And so you can go to your local Barnes & Noble or go on Amazon. Uh, and buy the book Traction by Gino Wickman. And so it is a step-by-step instruction manual on how to implement these tools into your business. The second way is you can uh, read the book for sure, go to our, our website and you can hire an EOS implementer and they're gonna take you through a process that starts with what we call a 90-minute meeting. And so what that is, is you sit with your leadership team hopefully in a conference room somewhere and, or in the, at the implementer's session room. And they take you through 90 minutes of what the entire system and process looks like. So they guide you through that entire day. And then you decide, Hey, is this a good fit for me or not? If it is, you go to what's called a focus day and a focus day it's seven hours plus or minus one. And it's you and your leadership team locked in a room, not really locked, but Kind of locked. Sure. <laughs> uh, and you're going to create, you, we, we have a philosophy of traction first, vision second, because what happens is you instinctually, you would say, I'm going to go create the vision for my organization and I'm going to go, you know, spend a weekend and write all this down and then give to my leadership team and say, hey, we're going here now. That doesn't work because you lack the discipline or one most often does, lacks the discipline and accountability to execute on the vision. It's never that people lack vision, typically. It's that they don't have the, the accountability, the discipline to execute on it. So we start with the traction part, which is the, ex- the discipline, the habit part. And so we create an accountability chart, which is think about this, an org structure with roles, responsibility, who's doing what. We set rocks, which are the 90-day priorities for the leadership team only, then we have a meeting pulse. We install a meeting pulse into the business, a weekly meeting, and you can customize it to fit your unique business, but it's really about execution and being on the same page and team health and driving the business forward. So these go with meetings and then you go into a scorecard. So what are the five to 15 numbers that are gonna give you a total pulse on the business? And that, that's a little bit like the entrepreneurial Prozac, which is if you have a great scorecard and you look at those numbers, the, the sense of panic, the 2 a.m. thoughts begin to go away, right? They, they give you that sense of calm and control. So we do that in one day, seven hours plus or minus one. What we've realized working with entrepreneurs, our target market's 10 to 250 employees, that's kind of the sweet spot, that we want to give you as much as we possibly can and, and create the most impact we possibly can in the least amount of time. So you just do one day, seven hours, you go away, you practice with the tools, you use the tools, and you come back together. Uh, And whether you use an implementer, you do this yourself, it's the same process. Uh, You do a vision building day one. You review the the stuff you, you did and learned in the first day. Tweak, hone, refine from there. Then you start going into the work of defining your core values. What defines your culture? What makes you different? Uh, what do you, who do you want to attract to your business and who do you want to repel from it? Mm-hmm. So you go through that process, you set your core focus, which is a mixture of your purpose, your cause, your passion, and your niche. What do you do better than anyone else in the world? It could be dig holes, whatever it might be mm-hmm. <laughs> to use your previous example. Yeah. Uh, what's your 10 year target? You go away for another 30 days, practice all the tools, get on the same page, You come back, review everything you did, and then you finish out with. What is your marketing strategy? What is your three-year picture, your one-year plan? By that time you reset, your first round of practice rocks. And then what's your issues list? And so that's the process. And then once per quarter, you come together as a leadership team, you check in with where you've been, where you are, where you're going, and you just get on the same page as a team you reset your plans, and then you go back to work for another 90 days. And you meet once a week with your team. Some teams will do dailies, I would imagine, and I had quite a few construction companies as clients, is that daily stand-up can make sense, or twice a week, or sometimes every other week, depending but you know, ideally, it's, it's once a week, and you're solving your issues, you're removing all those obstacles and barriers, you're making sure your priorities are on track, making sure your numbers are on track, and all your people are happy. And you just do that once a week in between. really simple. And in, in a lot of ways, the, for a lot of companies, you break through the ceiling, you experience a lot of growth. Top line, bottom line, people uh, define growth in different ways. at one client. Who was working eighty hours a week? Implemented, came back working twenty hours a week, mm. spending more time with family, contributing to his community in you know feeding homeless people and and so forth and so on, and so that was growth for him. His company did happen to near, you know quadruple in size over the next two years, but that wasn't what his aim was. His aim was his time growth, mm-hmm. um, and so that that's really the the high level approach that that we take. It's time-spaced learning. Um, I'm going to quote the Greek philosopher incorrectly. I think his name was um, uh, Antichius or something. And he said, <laughs> you know, under pressure, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to our lowest level of training and preparation. And so we're taking the approach, this time-spaced learning approach, so that when you are under pressure, you... Don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the lowest level of your training preparation. So we're building that layer of preparation that just gets you better and better, very resilient over time. And you can execute under any condition.
0: And I, yeah, th- I think the resiliency you've talked about a few times is so key to an organization because you just don't know what's next. You can't control outcomes and you can't yeah. control outside conditions. And so you have to learn how to react in, in an intelligent way. Uh, to and especially with construction, I mean construction again it's a great example of of the necessity of resiliency, just because, for example, like you work outside most in, in our in our industry, most people work outside. You have weather when you're outside, you can't control the weather, <laughs> and so you can have this perfect schedule. you can have these perfect drawings, you can have everything perfectly planned out. Uh, but you just you go get and, and, and weather is weather for a reason. Sometimes it's completely unpredictable. You get these weather events and everything is completely knocked off course and you can't sit there and cry about it. You can't go back to the owner and say, sorry, uh, a hurricane came through. What are we going to do? That doesn't work. You have to figure it out. Um, and uh, and so to have the resiliency as an organization is just that's just so key. So key. Um. Yeah, I mean, even something recently happened where I I got to see the resiliency, at least of our executive team at play, like something unexpected, somebody unexpectedly left. And, you know, I think even like six months ago, that would have caused some panic Mm -hmm. or a little bit of anxiety. But we were so quickly just like, okay, what do we got to do? What do we got to figure out? What's important? what's in front of us? What are the next steps? How does this look you know a, a little bit down the road? Um, it was just so quickly to all right, check the the game just changed. Here's what we need to do to change with it, and it was cool. it wasn't cool because it was an unexpected change, but it was cool to see it all play out in that way, given what we what we had what what chips we had on the table.
1: yeah. And when you have that level of resilience, now, I think people need to, uh, companies should consistently train resilience throughout their entire organization. We want the tools that we talked about. We want them rolled out to the entire business because everyone beyond the leadership team, that mid-manager layer is so key to uh, building those Skills in in order for you to build a really fast growing, scalable, scaling business, Uh, it's a never ending process to train resilience. And what does that look like? Doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. Nope. (laughs) It just means exactly as you said, it's how you respond to those. You just take responsibility for the controllable. And it's almost it's not that it's uh, emotion free, but you have a sense of it's okay. It's all going to be fine. We're going to still be here. We're going to continue executing. We're just going to keep putting one foot in the, one or the other. And we're going to keep executing every 90 days. Uh, we'll, we'll move the business forward. Um, and it's quite freeing.
0: I think an, another freeing thing is the scorecard. Oh. Um, because at least for me, it's really nice. I travel a lot and I'm, I'm just bouncing around all over. But every week I can come back to that scorecard and and somewhat understand. Okay, here's where our business is at. And here's where we're here's where we're on track, cool check. Here's where we're off track and this is what needs attention and you're able to react and manage and lead a lot more effectively knowing the information. But it's important for me, it's it's way more important for everybody else to know exactly where everything's at and I'm trying to take the spec to construction as much as I can, but with construction I so often see the people building the work or the foreman, the people leading the work in the field don't understand what the score is. They're just told they have to go build uh, and, and and you, you got to hurry up. Why do we have to hurry up? What's the schedule look like? They don't know. They don't, they don't know what the budget's like. They don't know if they're making money, if they're losing money. They don't know if they're doing a good job. They don't know if they're, they, they don't know. And and so maybe it's just the project manager Or maybe it's even just ownership of the company knowing how projects are doing financially, but otherwise no one knows. And if they don't if they don't know, if I don't understand the urgency, I can't help. I can't I I I can't improve my performance because my performance isn't measured. So I don't have really any baseline. And then I can't if I if I need to if we really need to improve things, I can't I can't help because I don't know that there's a problem. Um, and I think our construction is very measurable in a lot of ways, which is exciting because we already have the information. We just need to get it into the right hands. Because once they have that scoreboard, like in an NBA in a basketball game, uh, just imagine how th- what a basketball game would even look like without a scoreboard. Without without the, just the two coaches knowing what the score was, no one else knew what the score. It would. It'd be a it'd be a it'd just be a mess. Like I, well, no I, one would play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There'd be no point to it. There'd be no point to it. And so you, just the, the winners announced at the very end of the game, like, wh- why would I even do this? And there's a lot of businesses that operate like that.
1: There totally is. And we we talk about everyone having a number and on, on the first pass kind of can be a little bit of a turnoff. Like, oh, you're going to you don't trust me. You're going to measure everything that I'm I'm doing, but you can have a a culture of really high trust and everyone having a number because generally speaking, people want to win. They want to know what the score is. Again, it kind of comes back to those three things of mastery, autonomy, and purpose. You, how do you know you're mastering your craft if you, there's no measurement of that? Sure. How do you know that you're moving the purpose of the business forward uh, that you believe in, that you want to help move forward? How do you, how do you know if you're not keeping score? So, so it's a, it's a, everything fits together. A lot of that is also, uh, it's a little bit of a lack of skill on leaders and managers uh, throughout any industry, construction included. Um, That I I don't think that leaders and managers are born. I think that it is a skill that can be developed over time. Now, are some people more naturally inclined? You know, they're extroverted. They're great communicators. And so people think that they're a born leader. Um, And so there's some elements of that for sure. Mm -hmm. But the one thing in order to be a great leader, a great manager, one thing has to be true. And that's you genuinely care about your people. So, well, I would say that if you aren't giving your people the opportunity to know the score, if you are not giving your opportunity, an opportunity for your people to win, do you really care about them? Or are they uh, an, an exchangeable, replaceable part in your machine to make you money mm-hmm. or to hopefully one day make money? Sure. And yeah. if they're just a replaceable part, they're a cog in your machine and you don't really care about them, you're never going to be a great leader. You're never going to be a great manager. And your business is never going to be great either. It just won't. You have to care about your people. You got to give them the tools they need to succeed. Um, having a scorecard would be one of them for sure.
0: This is where uh, there's a bad trend here. Construction business owners, I don't think they'll ever admit, I don't care about my people but a lot of them will admit that I don't trust these people because they're just going to leave. And I've heard that admitted quite a few times over in different ways. Mm-hmm. But that's the irony of giving people that information at the same time is, is if you trust them first, if you give them that information. Now that's saying I trust you and humans we do want to be trusted. We are tribal creatures. We do want to fit in with wherever we are. We want to be desperately, desperately want to be part of the tribe. Yeah. Uh and so if if you go first and you give them that information, now they're part of they're starting to become part of the organization, part of the tribe. And now that says to them that you are not just a number cuz we're we want to invest in you and we want to give you the score, we want to give you the information. And the the crazy thing is any construction company that does that right now Is automatically different than most other construction companies out there. That's that's that like something that simple is a big differentiating factor between a lot of other construction companies out there. And so, if you're trying to edge out your competition, sure pay, sure benefits, but everybody kind of pays the same now. Everybody has benefits. Like good for you, you give your people health care. Like so does everybody else. So does everybody. Like everybody has retirement. That. In my, in my 20s, I don't get excited about healthcare and retirement, uh, but what I do get excited about is, oh, okay, this company is different because they're inviting me in. They're giving me this information. They're allowing me to understand how this business operates so that I can adjust my performance and actions accordingly, which is super, super attractive.
1: Yeah. At EOS, US- Part of some of our tools, one of our, we have a, a lot of philosophies. I mean, in general, we are a philosophy of how to run a business, uh, but it's also a little bit of a human philosophy. And, and uh, what I mean by that is we have a tool called the Delegate and Elevate tool. And, and this is in reference to being afraid that your people will leave if you train them, if you give them too much, whatever it is that they're just going to they're just going to leave you anyway. Right? Well, that, that's scarcity thinking. Um, it's operating from a place of scarcity and fear versus abundance and love, which people hear me say uh, constantly. And well, what does that mean? So the delegate and elevate tool, It's simple four quadrants. Top left quadrant is things that you love to do and you're great at. Top right quadrant is things that you like to do and you're good at them. Bottom left quadrant is things that you don't like to do, but you are good at them. You've gained a a certain level of skill over time. And then the bottom right is things that you do not like to do, and uh, you're not particularly good at them either. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe someone just delegated to you, and so you gave it your best, uh, but you hated it, and you were terrible at it. (laughs) Sure. So – um, the reason I talk about that tool is there's an the underlying philosophy there is that every human is completely unique. You, Aaron, are the only one that has existed like you in the history of the universe. And you're the only one like you that will ever exist into the future well beyond our disappearance. So you're it. You're that unique person. My, and so, my mom.
0: My mom says the same thing.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. are that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's the case. Um. And, and the reason that's important in terms of hiring and managing and leading people is that you have all these unique gifts within your organization. And who are you to hold them hostage in your business because you need them to do something you want them to do? Mm-hmm. Who are you? What gives you the rights to do any of that? Well, you don't. You don't have it. And so to, to not help them learn and grow to not help them navigate where they are in their career and in their life. To find those things that they love to do and they're great at. Part of their unique ability like Dan Sullivan uh, refers to it as. I, I believe, we believe at EOS that part of the, the leader and manager's job is to bring out all that uniqueness. And if they share your core values and they GWC, they get want to have the capacity to do the job you have for them. And it's part of who they are and they love it and they love you and it's, it's mutual, let's go. Like that, let, that's the, and it might only be for a point in time and they kind of start to get a little bored and they want to move mm-hmm. on. Yeah. But whether it's uh, the way our philosophy is, is, whether it's with your company, with another company to us, you kind of owe it to them and honoring their uniqueness to, find a, to help them find the spot that's best for them. Mm-hmm. And so you're not thinking about them working for you you could place them with a competitor and if it lights them up and that's like where they should be, to me, that's doing the right thing. Um, and so not to get all uh, philosophical on you there, but it, it's uh, um, it is an underlying thought process that says there's more than enough to go around. Every human is absolutely unique. And I'm going to honor that in, in the way I manage and lead my people versus there's not enough to go around. I have to own it all. I'm scared that they're going to leave me. That I don't trust them. They're going to take something from me, and so you try to protect it all. Mm-mm. But you don't do yourself any good, and you don't do them any good either.
0: And I, I've I've had to, I guess, live live this in a few ways. I guess the one that comes to mind first is I have to be careful when I um, say I, I've 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 had to. I've had to be deliberate about how I phrase things, like saying, "Hey, you're you're so important in this role, and if you were ever to leave, I would be completely screwed." Like, no. I don't want to, I don't want to pigeon and 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 like to me, it's like, well, I'm praising them for doing a great job, but then at the other the other side of the coin is, well, I don't want to pigeonhole them in this role and make them feel like they can never leave because, and he, maybe it's it's working out for them now, but maybe two years from now they want to do something else. Like, I don't. I don't want to force them into that just because it, it serves it serves me. Um, that's uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and I guess the second thing that I've had to really understand is that not everybody thinks like me, which is crazy. And <laughs> and, uh, you know, not everybody. Don't wa- it. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, it's crazy, wild. <laughs> not everybody wants what I want. Not everybody's good at what I'm good at. Not everybody's bad at what I'm bad at. Like everybody truly is completely different. And not only is everybody completely different, but they're different at different parts of their life too. Like you, you, you people want something different in their twenties. Versus their 40s sometimes because maybe you have a family and you settle down and, and life's completely different and you were willing to go travel the whole country to do whatever you needed to do back in the day. And now you've got three kids and a family at home and you don't want to travel and that's OK. Um, uh, but, yeah, I've, I've really had to I've really had to understand that. And it sounds completely ridiculous, but I just assume like even even mastery In the construction industry, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking that everybody wants to be president of the company. And that's just not true. I think a lot of people want to be masters at their craft. And that is, that's what that, which is a, a completely different want, a completely different, uh, uh, like desire, but, but requires the same effort nonetheless. Um, but yes, not everybody wants to be president of the company, but that's, that's, that's okay because you can only have one president of the company too. Like not everybody in society can be president of the company because then nothing, nothing happens. There's no values created. Nothing, nothing works. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think that's all fascinating. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things about EOS is how many times you all have had, have had to work this through other companies. How many companies has EOS worked with?
1: So we worked with 23,000. Uh, working with an implementer. So 23,000 companies raised their hand, said, I want a EOS implementer to come and and help me implement these tools. Uh, Now, there's more than 10 to 1. We're kind of getting our data a little bit better and seems to be edging up towards more than 10 to 1, but I'm just going to go with 10 to 1 for now. Have use the tools in their company on their own. So they're self-implementing. So 10 to one self-implementers to those using an EOS implementer, facilitator, and coach. Uh, We sold over 2.4 million books. Uh, And so they're really, it's the instruction manual. So there's really no way of measuring that uh, in its entirety for now. We just know it's at least 10 to one. And so you know, you can do the math. It's at least 230,000 companies who are using these tools every day in their business.
0: That's no joke. I mean, that is, that is serious impact. It is serious impact.
1: I mean, it is a privilege and honor. I have to sort of, um, you know, it's a little bit of a pinch yourself moment. Like, wow, we have the amount of impact for the good, at least we hope it is, um, is, is a privilege. And the best stories for us uh, like I said, the the one person who was working eighty hours got himself down to twenty. What I didn't say, he went and adopted a few children from China, from Haiti. He uh, spends time in soup kitchens, um, and his business went from a million to fifteen million. Mm. And th- we have hundreds, thousands of those stories, where, yes, we're making a business impact. We're making a impact in the world hopefully these entrepreneurs they they want to do good in the world and so they do and they're freed up to do that the employees in the organization have more opportunity they're living in their top left quadrant the love great you know on their own path to whatever that is that they want to achieve and so they're surrounding themselves with people who share their core values they share their culture they believe what they believe and so to me, you know, 50% or more are, uh, of people right now are experiencing some signs of burnout uh, out in the world. Um, and well, what does that mean? Well, they're missing a sense of community. They're missing a, a, a sense of purpose, of mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And so mm-hmm. I hope that we are at least a little bit of a bright spot uh, that's in contrast to um, what, what's happening in our world uh, in other places.
0: Well, I, I think there's um, now more than ever, there's a lot of nonsense in like people. Oh, I can teach you how to do business. Like, well, what business have you done? Well, I, I've done no, no business, but I'm really good at teaching business. Like, get out of here. Beat it. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you all, like you said, most of your implementers have built businesses themselves. And I mean, helping nearly a quarter million businesses is pretty, pretty remarkable. And then- those businesses, like you said, employ people. And so that's an impact of millions and millions and millions and millions of people um, that you've been able to work this system through. Uh, and, and, and at least, you know, my thinking was originally is I'm a unique flower. I'm special, like you said. And, um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't apply to us. But if it's applied to nearly a quarter million different businesses and all sorts of categories, Odds are it probably can help whatever business you have out.
1: There's no doubt about it. And that's kind of going back to what I said earlier about first principles is that we we joke that EOS will work in your business as long as one thing is true. And I was like, oh, what's that? (laughs) Like you have people in your business. If you have Uh people in your business, we can help you. If you don't, well, we probably can't. Sure. But as long as that one thing is true, no matter what industry you're in, what size your business is, if you have people, if you employ people because it's a system for managing human energy, uh, we, we can help. A system can help. Um, and it, this is not about I'm not selling anyone on anything uh, um, because you can go and, and get great results going to your library, checking out traction for free. And implement these tools and concepts in your business for free. Yeah. There you you can go on our website, you can download videos, you can go on YouTube. There's a hundred ways that you can use these tools for free in your business. And it's impactful, it works. Uh, it does take work. I mean, it, it is not easy. It's simple, not easy. Uh, that would be the case. You gotta want well, you gotta want something bigger and better. Uh, for yourself, for your people, totally,
0: for your customers, and if you don't want that, then well, that can't help you either. Even if you sure. you're people that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, so what does EOS do once Chat GPT is running the world by 2025? <laughs> well, I don't really think that that's going to be the case. <laughs>
1: uh, oddly enough, uh, a few of our implementers, we had our our we have seven quarterly collaborative exchanges with where our 700 plus EOS implementers come and they, they learn and grow together. Sure. Uh, some people are like, oh, you know, because we are building software and um, it's really about execution and training and rollout and helping people get 80% strong in their business. But some people are like, oh, a uh, rumor has it that you're going to use AI and replace all implementers within three years. Well, <laughs> the, the best analogy that I would have is uh, if you have a doctor Let's just say, um, you know, you have a regular human doctor, and you had the choice to go to a different doctor that was absolutely perfect every single time. Uh, there was no error in their diagnosis or remedy. Right, the surgeries were perfect. Everything was perfect, and you you had a choice between the human that's full full of possible errors and misdiagnosis and everything else. Would you go to the human error, uh, the human doctor? Or would you go to the Robot, the AI doctor. Well, of course you would go to the robot <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's no risk and it's perfect. The results are excellent every single time. The, the reality is, though, that does not exist. And I don't think it's going to exist for the next 30 years. Sure. So we're not going to replace implementers, uh, the, the human component that they bring to the table, feeling the human energy in a room. Um, navigating that with a client together in that trust-based relationship, uh, EOS implementers are not getting replaced anytime soon. <laughs> sure,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But if not... you could,
1: anyone with the right mind would, of course, choose the perfect
0: result. Yeah, but even even like the robot couldn't achieve the perfect result. And, and, and I think it's important too. It's like if I were to choose a therapist, if I was talking to a computer every day or talking like, I want the human connection. That's part of it. I, I need the human connection. And I think business is very similar to that in a lot of ways. I think it's uh, like inviting somebody into your business in in this way is very intimate. And I want a real relationship, a real human relationship as I do that. I don't, I don't want to, in a, in a lot of ways, do it online, which I think is more importantly, is why a lot of people trust your implementers over than doing it themselves. Because- yeah. It, it, anybody can go do it themselves, Then yet you still have 700-plus implementers. Why is that? Well, people do business with people. They they enjoy human interaction, and they need that accountability that a human can provide. And so I think your business is proof of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the connection, the community, I don't think any of that will ever be replaced because I believe that we're just biologically hardwired for that level of community and connection uh, that, is difficult to do interestingly uh, on on that topic though, um, there was a study a few years ago um, and you're twenty eight you said so friends, the show friends, you probably heard of it ever watched it
0: uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I missed it, yeah,
1: yeah, so they did a study right of um, friendships um, are do you feel satisfied in your level of friendships and so they took people you know control group, proper research study, and they they the people who went out into the world and met regularly with friends, of course, reported that they have really good trusting friend relationships. And then the control group who, who stayed in their places, they reported they had really bad uh, friends and, and no friends. They were very lonely so forth. And so they took that group and they had them watch the show Friends on a regular basis. Mm. And so the people who watched the show... Then later reported the same level of satisfaction with their friends, having connection, so forth, as watching TV, the show, versus actually having friends versus the control group who remained lonely. Uh, and, and so it is possible to have a sense of connection, to have a sense of community through other means than actually doing that. However, I, I don't think that... Um, That it goes so far. Sure. It doesn't go as far as uh, navigating trauma or navigating, because in a lot of ways, what happens in a business with so many people, you know, you have loss, you have gain, you have wins, you have all these different things going on on a regular basis, and um, it's unpredictable. And so because it's unpredictable, only humans can react to that, uh, at least for now.
0: Sure. Sure. Sure.
1: Okay, and then hopefully forever, but you never know. <laughs>
0: Can't rule it Fing- out. <laughs> finger, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I've got at least like another thirty or forty years ahead of me. Yeah. Well. Um, so, uh, um, I guess to to conclude, if I'm a construction company, what are my options? If this sounds interesting, I want to explore it further. How do how do I get involved once more?
1: Yeah. So you can go to EOSWorldwide.com. And from there, you can get all the free resources you need to self-implement. You can learn about an implementer if that's what you'd like to do. You can go on our YouTube channel and learn about EOS until your eyeballs fall out.
0: Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Mark, well, I, uh, I appreciate you joining us today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.